Capped off. Capped off by the Masters on CBS. Did you watch Finish? I did not. I was at the playground with my two-year-old. I watched some stuff on Friday night I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, I don't like Reed. Is that his name? Guy who won? Yeah, I was rooting against him on the back nine. He's got a very punchable face. I did think of you, though, when I saw Jordan Spieth, and I saw him wearing Under Armour, and I thought, man, that's the brand that Kyle said all the kids want to wear. I was so close to tweeting you and Adam, saying, I remember when you guys said Under Armour wasn't cool as Spieth was dominating dominating on Sunday at the Masters in his UA. I'm in uniform today, by the way. I'm wearing the Under Armour gray pullover, trademarked. It's what Spieth wore when he won in 2015, 14 or 15, whichever year he won. How many uh, uh, I, how many days in a row have you worn those? Uh, two. So and, I got, count. and I got my Under Armour uh, sweatpants, uh, part of my new winter unit, my 17-18 winter uniform. Uh, I was ready to go. I was ready to take pictures of logos. This is literally the pullover he wore when he won. Someone from Under Armour sent it to me uh, when I tweeted about it. Uh, shout out to, I think it's Zach uh, Siskind. Shout out to him for sending it to me. So I need to get some of his new merch. Um, it's a good finish. I thought Reed was going to blow it to his credit. Uh, that, that chubby guy, uh, Captain America, which I think is a terrible nickname, uh, I was rooting against him as well. I thought he was going to blow it down the stretch. Credit to him for being pretty much unflappable with, with those guys, uh, with Spieth and, and Rory early on and, and Fowler. I, Fowler's got to get a major here. I love Fowler. His, his uh, Snapchat game is strong. He's always in the mix, just always, and he can never get over the hump. I thought today could be the day. Um, all around good Masters. Was hoping for a – could have got a playoff hole there with Fowler if that guy, uh, if Reed had missed the uh, putt, but he did not. Um, Tiger and Phil, um, despite being much ballyhooed coming into the tournament, uh, both uh, didn't factor at all this weekend. So, uh, yeah, it's good. Really, Golf it, is back, though. Golf one of back. the interesting things I saw was a, an article about how Patrick Reed, I guess, had planned on wearing red and black for Sunday, and they said, and Nike told him not to. He had to wear <laughs> pink. They they explicitly said you are not allowed to wear red and black. Wear pink. I, I don't know. I don't, that, I don't blame him. And he should wear pink from now on, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean. Nike Nike had to love it. it you had, we had good branding uh, coming down the stretch. You think about it. You had Reed and Rory both uh, pretty much exclusively in the swoosh. Um, Spieth exclusively in the Under Armour. And Fowler almost exclu- exclusively in Puma. Um, good, solid branding. None of those, uh, you know, none of those like, uh, you know, uh, Kutch... Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Kutcher. I always I always screw up his name. But none of the like older school guys who got like eighty logos and like a jet, you know, like a jet logo and a ping logo. And I like the guys who have like one, you know, pretty much one singular brand. So two uh, American and, and one on German company representing the uh, those three you mentioned. Yeah, it's a good tournament. Um, they keep pushing the drive, uh, chip and putt, and uh, getting uh, Kyle's getting close enough to pick up a pick up a golf club. Um, uh, hashtag you're, dad goal to get him in the drive chip and butt. I was going to say, your your son, Kyle, you're not talking about yourself in the third person. Although no. Although it wouldn't he, be the most unexpected thing to hear you do that. He's my ticket to Augusta. So that topped off what I thought was a great Philly sports weekend. Really started Thursday. Start, you know, it started long before that, but let's just go from Thursday. The Villanova parade, Phil's window opener, Flyers inch closer to a playoff spot, Sixers on Friday uh, thoroughly, well, almost thoroughly dominate the Cavs. Flyers clinch the playoffs on Saturday. Saturday. Phil's win 20-1. to Flyers. Saturday. Uh, Sixers win on Sunday. Phillies couldn't quite hold up their end of the bargain, but that's okay. Um, what it, things are Tony like, Tony Bruno Tony Bruno got himself back in the news like that was that was a thing that was let's a, talk that was, about that that was a moment I, I kind of feel like we sort of we sort of should uh, because we in the description of the show it says that we talk about sports and the media who surrounds them and covers them and Tony Bruno went off on what I don't I don't even know what we would call it. He went off on this massive rant against the Philly Parking Authority, which I believe won Kevin's uh, worst of Philadelphia Sweet 16 bracket for the website. Um, not only did he lose his mind at Philadelphia Parking Authority, but he got into it with some, uh, I would say, decently well-known people, especially in the uh, Sixers Twitterverse. I don't know how you felt. You got tagged in one of them, so I thought that was funny. 
I did. He, he went after uh, Jim Adair, uh, said that, uh, you know, uh, I, this coming from a guy who got fired from Crossing Broad, which isn't really entirely true. Um, Jim, I thought, had an excellent comeback. Uh, and he said, are you kidding me? You were fired like four times while I worked there. Uh, I thought that was thought that was a good – that should have ended it. He just should have walked away because that was, that was the best comeback he could have had. But it went on and on. He went back and forth with Jim and, and, and Seamus and, I guess, Max and some of the, the Twitter – I think Levin si- got in there. Yeah. Some was- of the Twitter Sixers crew. Uh, Tony – Tony's an interesting cat. I've uh, been on this podcast. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't. I don't know him well, but I've, I know him, knew him a little bit. Um, I, you know, he's a fiery guy, and I think he's just sort of uh, now that he's not tied to any outlet, he's sort of just free to cut loose. And I think uh, Miss Robin, who's uh, his girlfriend slash you know co-host slash manager, I think she eggs him on in a lot of these circumstances, and um, you, she gets caught up in those tweets as well. Um, you know. Tweeting "fuck you" with the mayor, um, aggressive, strong, bold, um, picking on the parking authorities, uh, low-hanging fruit. So I don't think anyone really blames who he was going after, uh, but it seemed a little bit unhinged. And it continued what Friday night. Someone emailed me. They're like, "I don't know if you see this, but Tony Bruno is having a meltdown." Um, still, right now, I saw. As, I I'm saw scro- stuff- as I'm talking about this, he's retweeting still things about the PPA. It's yeah, like I saw stuff about incredible. it yesterday. I woke up this morning. I saw more stuff. I'm like, good God. Like, just pay your parking ticket. Like, you can hate them. Like, whatever. But you know, how you, you know how you make it go away? Just pay your ticket. And I know, like, you can you can go after the system. Fine. Like, that's whatever. But, like, if you, if you just pay the ticket. Like, didn't he say he had four tickets or something or four citations? Just pay them. Like, I get it. Your, tow, your car got towed. It sucks. It's an exorbitant amount of money. But, like, he's also made some money in his career. He's not somebody who's scrounging for peanuts. He's not picking up, you know, dimes and quarters in between his uh, couch cushions. I think it'll be okay. But, you know, just, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's It was this weird kind of juxtaposition of the older, you know, former uh, face of Philadelphia radio or, or one of the faces of Philadelphia radio. Somebody who, like, when I was watching this happen... I was kind of taken back to my college days. Like Bruno and Mays were the show that I listened to when I was in college. And if I God, missed the young. show because like, and if I, if I missed the show, like I, I would listen to the podcasted version on their app when I would like get ready to sit down and watch a game. Like I would mute the TV and I'd listen to them because I liked the show they did. And even when he got the, the gig with Innis, that gave me a reason to listen. And I know that it kind of goes in, um, in like the exact opposite way of, of many of the criticisms that I have or that you have of traditional radio. But for better or worse, Bruno to me just kind of had the, the sound of what I thought Philadelphia radio was supposed to sound like. And I always enjoyed listening to him. And I thought that the the stark contrast in styles between he and Innes was really effective. And it was it produced really good radio in a very downtime in Philadelphia sports. And then like it just kind of felt like the whole thing fell apart. And to watch him now kind of go on these Twitter rants, like whatever it, the thing is, it kind of strikes me as like an older guy, right? Like it, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but it like, it, it kind of has like the, the uncle or like the grandfather feel of like, get off my lawn. And you know, here's the only thing I'll say to the other side. I have a hard time supporting people just in, just in general. If you are somebody who is snarky, arrogant, uh, I would say borderline arrogant, snarky, think that you're witty, smelling yourself on Twitter, and then somebody pushes back at you, you can't just all of a sudden, you know, get get yourself in a little bit of a tiffy over about it. Like, deal. You know, if, if you're going to go out and, and make these, like, um, like if you're going to subtweet people, and then you're going to go after them as, like, part of a collective group of people who are all going to go after the same person, like... That's fine. But if that person fires back at you, then you need to be ready. And you can't just, you know, cry foul. Like, you've probably taken enough shots in your own way that, you know, it might not be at that person, but it's just in general. Like, there's eventually a collective thing that kind of builds up against you. Like, I'm snarky to a point. When somebody comes after me on Twitter, I'm like, okay, like, I'll engage the person. But I think I do it in a pretty respectful way. And, and like, the end goal, I guess, is to try to see each other's viewpoint. But, like, I just don't get it. Like don't. watch watching the way that some of these people went after Bruno as this like collective uh, thing was also weird, and the, watching the way that he tried to get himself out of it, I thought was also just kind of sad. It was like flailing in a kiddie pool when you're on yeah, your yeah. back and you've had too many to drink. Like I, I just don't. I, it was weird. 
You've been in that circumstance frequently? I've seen people in that circumstance. Don't forget where I grew up. That is true. That's a good Saturday where you grew up. Uh, it's a Tuesday. <laughs> um, yeah, I, he's. Uh, I think he hurt himself with the whole anti-process thing, calling people strapazoids and really digging in against that crowd. Like I, you know, I don't think that cra- crowd is certainly above criticism. Um, they could be, you know, and, and I, I don't mean this as a shot, but I mean they could occasionally be tough to take, and they would probably admit that. Um, but I, you know, I think his his total dis dismissiveness and his take on the whole process thing may have been worse than anybody in Philly sports, including Howard Eskin and Angelo Cataldi. Um, I was on his his podcast a few years ago talking about this, how it could work, and you know, it might not, but it could. And you know, it's it's a novel thing they're doing, and he was just you know from the start against it, and nothing they did, and even now. Uh, just won't admit that, like, hey, there was something to it. And he just had a horrible take and was so uh, seemingly offended by that, uh, by but that people would put up with this. And then even a few months ago, like after the Super Bowl, I think I got subtweeted by him. Oh, you know, to have a successful website or podcast, you must need to sell T-shirts. Um, you know, yeah, he it's, even, if, he it's said not directly that again, to me, certainly a few he, of me. He said that over the weekend, me. but I think that was I think that was geared at Jim and Max. For, Probably, you know, but their their podcasts and their t shirts and all that. But I, yeah, I know but, you know, saying. selling yourselves out. I care more about my podcast, whereas you care more about t shirt. You know, like first of all, this is a guy who worked for major, major media companies that had, um, spo- you know, you can't go three minutes without a sponsored segment. He was the kin, the king of sponsored segments. His podcast, the king of sponsored and having wings at uh, what's the place in Jersey. The real good place and Bato's Italian restaurant, and he's the face of Bato's. I go in the fucking boardwalk. Oh, now I'm getting pissed. I go in the boardwalk on, in Ocean City two years ago to go to Bato's and get myself a sausage, and there's Tony Bruno's big head. Like, go, get the fuck over yourself. It, the, everyone to do this for any sort of a living has to make money. You did it through ads. That's the way your generation did it. Our generation is finding new ways, and we're selling shirts, and you know, I don't know, doing live show and whatever the fuck we're doing. It doesn't matter. Um, he was like clearly but he was clearly butthurt that he's gotten let go a few times and then there's other people somehow being more successful uh, with what he deems inferior content uh you know and and making and somehow not being authentic like give me a break like he was more of a whore to any um you know business interest they had and you know and that's fine that's the way it should be you know shout out I do and I will live podcast Wednesday like that's what allows us to do this sort of thing so but yeah I don't know he he's worn thin and I used to like him and, you know, whatever. I, I don't really care either way. But I feel like he's kind of become a, a dickhead on Twitter. Um, so, whatever. Wow. Um, now How I'm do you in. really feel? How now really I'm feel? in it. You're, you're in like, you're in real uh, rare form tonight. We've no, already I mean, it was just like I was staying out of left the tweets. Bombs. And this is just a lot. Well, yeah, I, I mean, got like, roped into it after the Eagles Super Bowl and I just let it go because I was so busy and like didn't have time. And I was like, he kept subtweeting like people – you know, like us, like, you know, Jim and Max, anyone else who's selling T-shirts and stuff like that. It was really good. It was getting under my skin. And it's it, like that that whole thing I don't get. Like, it's stupid, right? Like, everybody's in it to make a living or to make some kind of side money or whatever. And, like, if you're if you're good at it, you're creative enough at it, and people buy your stuff, then, like, more power to you. If he had designers or whatever and he was working on shirts and he was able to sell them, I'd say good, to, good for him, too. Like... I, the way that the way that some people and maybe it's just a generational thing maybe it's because he used to be you know such a, a face of media even going you know on the national um how many shows did he have nationally Bruno at night right like and he did stuff out in san francisco like he's a really well-known guy like he had the year the year or the years doing the madden radio stuff like that was all cool and so it's it's kind of sad to watch him kind of belittle the way that people make money now and it doesn't make anything that anyone does less authentic or or less meaningful. It's just it's a change in the way that things are being done. And it's also kind of hypocritical, I would argue, to go after podcasts in general, considering that he has one. Like I I, I don't totally understand it. And I you know, Did he I don't... get sponsors for or tries to. And by the way, like if you want to talk about authenticity, like, okay, we're selling shirts and apparel that are directly related to what we do. Or people doing live po- like 
you know, radio stations doing ads for fucking, you know, refrigeration companies and, oh, you know, hot water. Get my, I'm Ron Jaworski. Get my hot water heater. I get all my hot water. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, like, give me a fucking, like, you know, you're you're promoting commodity, like, bullshit branding. It it barely has anything to do with your topic and in most cases has nothing to do with it. Like, just the way it is. And that's fine. They're, They're sponsors and they should promote them. But, like... You know, yeah, Tony. Tony got has got a horrible case of get off my lawn. And on, you know, it's when I thought like he was a little irrational. And again, I think he's egged on by Miss Robin. Um, you know, because I I you knew her probably fault. better than him. Yeah, I've seen her egg him on. Uh, I've seen her get caught up. I, we were doing a. Gr- Let me just quick go, go ahead. ahead, and then I got a quick story. Well, I this kind of comes back to the whole thing that happened between. Um, Bruno and Ennis, mm-hmm. and I, I agree, because I if I remember correctly, and this is before you and I did the show together, I remember tweeting at you about it. Um, Ennis had posted this tweet about, um, I want to say it either happened, I think it happened on Bruno's podcast, or Miss Robin had tweeted something um, kind of about, it was like subtweeting about Ennis, and Ennis had tweeted back this idea of maybe my girlfriend, or like maybe Jilly and I, should go make a quote-unquote podcast and like he went on this like little rant and he deleted it the next morning like after it caught enough uh attention he deleted it and that was like right then and there is when the bruno and in a show stopped so like I, I do think that in some way like i don't know anything about miss robin but like she's definitely gotten involved in things before and and i do believe without knowing anything about it, that to me was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, at least on that show. And she, in, in some way, shape, or form, had something to do with it via social media. I just... Well, it's, yes, that it's almost, show... It's almost as... Li- you know what it is, Kyle? And maybe it is the generational thing. I don't think that people of a certain age, as a as a general hold on, group... Hold that, hold is... that part of it, because I want to follow up to you. Hold that. Okay. Okay, that, That'll extend the conversation. Um, yeah. I think what happened in that case is she tweeted something. I am fairly certain um, she was behind some, uh, you know, anonymous accounts in support of him that were anti-Josh and accidentally tweeted it under that account. That is just my Ooh. opinion, really. And and that is I don't think that's much of a leap. But here's here's two two things where I thought maybe they were go- and she was egging Tony on and they were going a little off the deep end. She w- they were convinced. That Mike Missinelli was, they have have had this uh, Twitter stalker for years, someone who just trolls trolls him to the point of it being concerning, right? And, you know, like changes names, constantly brings up old things, something he said on the air in San Fran years ago, and it really gets under their skin. And they let that person know that it gets under their skin, and it's just sort of a self-perpetuating thing. They were convinced that that person was Mike Missinelli convinced and i had conversation i remember before a great sports debate a few years ago i was sitting with miss robin and she talked to me for 30 straight minutes as to as i'm waiting to go on why she thought uh that mike missinelli was behind it and she's like can you she wanted me to look into it let's do a story on it i'm like look i have i highly doubt i've gotten emails from mike the dude i think can barely knows how to send an email i highly doubt he's creating fake twitter accounts then when i said hey some of these tweets are coming to you guys at like 2.20 while he's on the air. This clearly isn't him. Well, it could be him in the studio. There's a computer in the studio. He could be paying a guy to do it on his behalf. I'm like, like this is the height of paranoia with this stuff, the height of it. And I think they eventually openly accused Mike of being this person, which yeah, I still did. think is a preposterous claim. Um, and the whole Josh thing, like that show is never going to work. I was getting texts and calls from her while you know, while that show was going on, you know, she would occasionally re- leak ratings to me. But I would get the text and calls from her, like bashing Josh. Oh, you know, he steps over Tony. You know, Tony will play fair, but Josh, you know, Tony's had enough of this. You know, when he went, when Josh went after the guy with the coke problem, it was too much for Tony. Like all these things, and then I put this in. Uh, a post when it's kind of all said and done and I don't quote her but I you know I speak with some authority because I've been hearing from her this whole time as to what may have caused this and then they come out and say oh this is all bullshit well crossing broad wrote was wrong we Tony never felt that way like no bullshit yes he did I know you you texted me these things and then they try to deny it when when it's written about like that whole thing just sort of soured me um you know, sort of soured me on the way they, they, they operate. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how we got here. I, I'm not I'm not trying to bash them. I actually 
I liked Tony the few times I met him and talked to him. I think he's a good guy, but I think, uh, I don't know. I think sometimes they, the two of them have a lot of time and, and get into these Twitter wars that they can't get out of. And it's, I don't think it's a good look. Um, you know, I don't think it's a good look. All I was going to say, and this is in against people of a, of a, of like a certain age group. Cause I know we have listeners of all different age groups. I, I think that there are still people and it's not just older people, like let's say 60 and up. I think there's just a, a large group of people who don't totally understand what Twitter is and the fact that like you can mine people's tweets and you can find their bad takes and you can find uh, that like the responses that they have to people are, are open record that you can also kind of respond to. And it feels like in so many of these situations and especially in this one, it's as if he was thinking that like the responses he was doing were private messages and then it was just people piling on to responses. But whatever it it's kind of sad. And like I said, for somebody that I really enjoyed listening to, this doesn't really change everything about the way that I view the guy, but like, I just think it's kind of sad. It's like a fall from, it's not just a fall from grace. It's like free falling out of an airplane and there's nobody there to catch him. There's no parachute coming. It just kind of is what it is. Um, so that's all kind of sad. Let's get to the happiness of Philadelphia sports. But before Sucks, we I do, thought he would have been a good no, morning show host in one of those morning show slots. I agree. Either station. I think he would have been agree. better than Gargano and, and could could have been a success for the, if he even wanted to do that. But that that's what he's best at. Yep, um, I agree. Totally. All right, so yeah, I do and I will. I do and I will. Let's, let's pay our bills. I love I do and I will. And unlike certain <laughs> sponsors of other things, this one actually makes sense with our demographic and our audience. It does. A lot of our audience studies have shown... Um, no. Uh, well, yes. Uh, surveys that we've done, our Facebook follower page. I mean, uh, Google Analytics, pretty much our, our listeners and readers, the core of them are between like 28 and 32 year old males. Uh, that is prime marrying age. Um, so I would say to those people, if you are looking to save some money uh, on your upcoming wedding, I do and I will, uh, will be able to help you save money. They partner with some of the biggest brands out there, uh, and they could save you up 20% on your, on everything from your wedding to your, uh, you know, your after party and or, or your, your reception and your honeymoon and all of that. Um, more importantly, they are sponsoring our live podcast, which looks like it's also going to be slash flyers game watch party at six feet under a uh, Wednesday night at what time, Russell? 7 p.m. At 7 p.m. Right 727 as the puck Walnut. Drops. It is 727 Walnut. It is underground. The Flyers playoff game is going on. And then at 8 o'clock, the Sixers Milwaukee Bucks season finale is going to be going on. And depending on the way that the uh, Hawks game and that one shakes out, that could be to uh, lock up the third seed in the Eastern Conference. So that's there's a really be a, that's, a live, that's, There's a lot going on. It's going to be a live podcast slash it might be more of just a regaling game watch where you can come hang out with us, drink beers. Every The few times we've done these, we've, uh, you know, the more enjoyable part is just been getting to like meet people who have come out and, and hanging out and talking and, and the podcast, um, you know, it, like that to me is always the highlight of these things because people get to come out and we did draft party. Um, so certainly for this, where we got two games on, uh, we don't want to steal thunder, certainly from the Flyers and Sixers game. So, uh, might be sort of a low key podcast slash game watch, come out and hang out with us, uh, meet, meet and greet all that good stuff. Have a good time. Uh, six feet under gastro pub, as Russ said, seven twenty seven Walnut street in Philadelphia, Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be there. Me and Russ will be there. Most of the CB guys or some of the CB guys will be there as well. Uh, stay tuned on that list. Uh, yeah. So thanks I'm to, pretty- uh, I do and I will. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the entire staff, with the with the uh, exception of Kevin, I believe, who's going to be at the game, the Sixers game for the finale on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But um, essentially confirmed, I believe, is Anthony, who will be there, our Flyers beat writer. So that'll be really cool. So if you are a Flyers fan, you should definitely come out and uh, talk to Anthony. I believe Phil should be there. Um, I believe Bob said he's going to get there around 7.30. So pretty much anybody who hosts a podcast as part of the Crossing Broad Podcast Network will be there. And also those guys write a ton of the stuff for the website. So if you've been reading their stuff and you wanted to come out and say, hey, nice job, or hey, I'm the guy who talks about whatever in the comments section, uh, that's a that's a great thick time to come ropes. out. I need yeah, thick ropes. We need that, thick that, ropes that guy. guy. We need to know Big who time. that guy is. I, yeah. I just want to know. But um, seriously, I, it's it's funny because... Um, the, the first thing that we did, the draft 
yeah, it was the draft party. We did that in Center City. We had a decent turnout for that. And then in the aftermath, people on Twitter were like, man, I really wish I would have known. I thought it was only going to be like 10 people there. It looked like there were a lot more. That that would have been something I would have been interested in. Then we did the there was show. 58 who paid. But that was, by the way, that was paid. We had 58 people show yep. up. The podcast only a few weeks old, and that was paid. So who knows exactly what our turnout will be for this, but um, you know, there's no, well, no that's the thing, Kyle. Like, the the interesting thing has been every show that we've done since. So there were two of Carlinos, one in Armour, one in Westchester. Every time we've done a live show, there's have been bigger crowds. And the cool thing is, this place looks legit. It looks like it's got great food, great drinks. Uh, Kurt is working on getting some kind of a special for people who are going to go. And what better way to celebrate the start of the NHL playoffs than Flyers Penguins at a at a gastropub? And, uh, you know, if you're looking, if you're a Sixers fan and you just want to go out and celebrate, which will hopefully be the 52nd win of the Sixers season, there is no better place to go than Six Feet Under Gastro Pub on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. It is literally underground. If you're looking for it above ground, you will not find it. It literally is underground, 727 Walnut. So that's I do and I will. It's going to be awesome. So even if, uh, if you're a sports fan, if you are dating somebody who's interested in learning more about ways to save money on a wedding or re- wedding-related expenses... Uh, friends, family who might not be into sports but are looking for that kind of thing, bring them out too. We'll convert them to Philly sports fans. It'll be great. Uh, so should we right? turn to page? Yeah, yeah. No, we'll be great. Sorry, I'm progressing things. Um, should we turn to page to what the Sixers? Yeah, I'm I'm good with whatever. Like there is there is nothing going on in Philly sports. This is awesome. It's a great time. <laughs> it is I have, a great. Time. I have a mea culpa. I have to apologize to somebody. Go ahead. Uh, what would you do? You, do you want to take back your ludicrous LeBron stance? Uh, that's part of it. Well, oh, yeah, like a little bit. So let me say this. Watching the game on Friday, uh, a couple of our friends got married, so I didn't get to watch the game live. I actually followed it a little bit from the bathroom on Twitter. And then uh, this morning, my wife and I, when we got up extra early, we watched the replay. Here's what I will say. So LeBron, right? I said the biggest issue I have is that he could theoretically hold your your team captive or hostage on a one and one deal. And after watching the way that this Sixers team responded, especially without Joel Embiid and the way that they've been winning the five games since he went out or six games, sorry, uh, I am all in on the concept of LeBron even on a short con uh, on a short contract because I'm now at least somewhat convinced. That if that means that he's going to be able to speed up the entire process for two years or even one year, uh, watching the way that Ben, and this is kind of how I get to my apology, sort of, um, watching the way that Ben has become more assertive makes me think that he wouldn't be this horribly passive and and, um, unengaged player with LeBron here. I don't know why so you ever if, would. Have, I don't know what you would have ever seen from Ben Simmons that would have had you think that in the first place. That he would have been unengaged or disengaged because I I think it's like I said before. I worry that if LeBron had you know wanted to continue to be the point forward, that would have taken Ben off the ball a lot. But one of the interesting things that we've been able to see, especially in a few of these games, I think it was two out of the last three games, we've gotten to see what it looks like a little bit with Markel and Ben on the floor together. It's typically Ben bringing the ball up the floor, although in half-court sets, he has been deferring at times to Markel. The whole thing is interesting. There, there are a lot of interesting dynamics to it, but I'm not diametrically opposed to the concept of LeBron, especially on a short deal. Like in the past, I've said I would want to see him commit long-term, but at this point, like realistically, if he's here for two years, the way that this team has already shown massive rapid development in the course of a singular season, I would be fine with him coming here on a short deal. I'm a little bit, uh, and it's not that I'm concerned. I'm, I'm, I would be ecstatic. Let me change that. I would be ecstatic if LeBron came here. What a um, 180 that is. What a 180. I know. Here's here's the thing though. I am, a, I'm wondering going forward, guys like JJ, guys like Bellinelli and Ilyasova, who definitely are necessities going forward, or players like them who provide such great floor spacing, provide great three point shooting. There, there's no doubt that this team went to another level once Bellinelli and Ilyasova were acquired via buyout, right? Like they're, this got us out of having to watch Jared Bayless and TLC jack up bricks. And so it, it really kind of goes to show what having legitimate floor spacing shooters does uh, in opening up Ben Simmons game and opening up the lane and the way that he's played the last few games, especially uh, when you watch against how he played against Cleveland and how he played uh, even against Dallas today. Uh, this is the kind of thing that I've been hoping, praying, begging for all year. 
And I know that when Joel is in, he's the number one offensive uh, the right, offensive hold on, weapon. You've touched on three things here. Um, Sorry, I start. It's starting. Just my, with, it's my mini rant. Go ahead. Yeah, starting it's just, with my. Go ahead. Sorry. Starting with the LeBron thing. Um, yeah. Uh, welcome. Thanks for coming around to uh, wanting the best player ever. I think if nothing else, and we don't have to spend too much any more time on the LeBron thing. But the only thing I would say is it is so clear right now. Um, you know, you had talked about next year with LeBron, if the Sixers would even have a shot at the Warriors. Uh, two things. First of all, it is not even a foregone conclusion the Warriors are the team in the finals this year. Uh, second Accurate. of all, I think it is, if nothing else over these last 15 games has been proven clear, is that the Sixers are legitimately, at most, one big free agent away from contending for a title. I mean, we could talk about them with and without Embiid. You add Embiid to what they've been doing here. Uh, in in another era, they might be contending for a title this year. If you don't have, you know, LeBron in your conference, um, the Cavs are beatable. Or you know, the Rockets super teams. You know, a guy the Rockets and a super team like the Warriors lurking out west. It's it's you a have, long you, you know it's a long team, shot. There's one team within your conference that you have to worry about long term, and that's Boston. Right, um, but, or, or wherever or wherever LeBron is if he's in the East. But, but if nothing else, we've seen that they are so good. Like they, they are going to contend to go to the finals this year. I'm convinced they're going to go. And we could touch on this in a minute. It's, um, it's setting up like the Eagles. You're but, right. It, but you add a you add a superstar free agent, whether it's LeBron, Paul George, anybody, you know, whatever, they are a finals contender next year. You add that guy now and they would be a finals contender. I think that that's the impressive part. Um and you were turning the page to Simmons, um, you know, part of it, yeah, the spacing and how well he's played and it's opened up the floor. I do think we got to give a lot of credit to Brian Colangelo. Um, Marcus Hayes wrote a piece. He should be executive of the year. Now, Hayes lose all credibility because he um, just instinctively hated Hinky, although not quite as bad as John Smallwood. Um, but I think he's actually right in this regard. Like, you know, moving up to get Fultz, and I know Fultz has been an issue in, you know, all season, speaking all season here, uh, but that really wasn't a flaw of the GM. Uh, most GMs, I think, saw him as the number one consensus overall pick, and he was a good fit on the Sixers, and he, he, he got that done. He got Redick here on a on a, on a a deal that doesn't restrict them. Then you go out and get Bellinelli and Irsan Ilyasova, and yeah, like, did you miss on, on the Jared Baleses of the world? Sure, but that's okay, like... Look at this team now. They potentially could contend for the Eastern Conference. And, you know, that's not just – it's it's largely on the strength of, of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. But look what they've been doing without Joel and with a Markel Folds very limited. You know, these assets that are here because of Hinky. Yes, Covington is a big part of it. But you got Redick and Ilyasova and, and Bellinelli. Like, these guys are playing massive roles on a one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in the NBA right now. So they deserve credit. Um the, I saw someone broach the topic of whether or not they play faster without Embiid. And I think it's a ludicrous concept for someone to think that having someone suggested Embiid play about six minutes less per game so they can play up-tempo, I think that is insane. <laughs> but I do think there's a little something, too, that they've been able to you know play a little bit differently without him. That said, um, you, know, I, you take Embiid 10 times out of 10. Joel Embiid is probably a top five most overrated player in the NBA. Who are some other overrated players that you believe have played in Philadelphia? 610-632. I'm not serious. I'm not. I can imagine that there's somebody who is uh, writing up a show sheet right now for somewhere in this city this week, and they're going to throw that ludicrous idea out there. Look, the, the team does stylistically play differently, but Embiid is your transcendent player. Ben... If nothing else, this is the the thing that I think is the most exciting is that Ben has shown once he has taken on this aggressive role as your focal point of your offense as a guy who's not only looking to facilitate but is willing to take over and not only uh, willing but also capable of taking over offensively on his own. Uh, you've, you're now looking at two generational talents. And it was something where, like, at different points in the season, there were plenty of national media pundits who were arguing that this team was just Joel and that Ben is just kind of like a nice side piece because, he, you know, he would be better, but he can't shoot. Hold it doesn't on. matter. Who argued I mean, that? Who actually uh, argued that? Most of the talking heads that make, you know, seven figures talking on, like, they Fox Sports. Simmons. The national that, like, media has no, loved dude, Simmons. Dude, no, no, no. I'm talking about, like, the uh, the head-to-head people 
that exist in like Fox Sports 1, ESPN, those people were not Ben Simmons fans because they would say he's a great player, but he can't shoot. I mean, like, do I need to name drop all you, of the, uh, the, you, the Russ, loudest? You, No, the you loudest would, that's screamers. That's literally what you would say. You were louder than anybody I heard critiquing Ben Simmons this year. I critique and the I think fact that anyone would, who listens to this thing podcast that I, goes the back. The thing that I critique is me. that he wasn't willing to shoot. And at this point, he's shown that he's he has been willing to take jump shots. He's been willing to take floaters. That's That's been my whole thing. It, it hasn't been that I was disappointed that he's unable to. It was that I didn't feel like he had this, like, this willingness to shoot. That's been my whole frustration. And so now, like, watching this last six-game streak since Joel went down and Ben went on post-game and said, you know, uh, Molly had said, what do you want to say to Joel? And he said, get ready for the playoffs, big guy. Like, this is exactly what I wanted to see. He's got the ability to do it. The whole thing has been, it's not like it was something mental, like Fultz not wanting to get on the floor or not feeling ready to get on the floor. It's just been, I wanted to see, like, Ben has this incredible ability to get anywhere on the floor. I've said this all year, in the midst of me saying that he's been unwilling to shoot, not that I, like, I I think a lot of people kind of took the, the thing that I was trying to say, or maybe I was just never really perfectly articulate about it. It's not that I was disappointed that he couldn't shoot. It's just that I wanted to see him be willing to do it. The way that he's been doing it these last six games has made like any kind of person who was a believer that he needed to expand his range to the three-point arc, it, it negates that point. The way that he's able to get into the post and initiate the offense from there, it, it's driven guards nuts. And when forwards switch onto him, they just can't simply keep up. It's just it's one of the most remarkable things I think to watch in the game right now. We said in the beginning of the season, even in the summer, once they got JJ, uh, you and Adam and I said this team is going to be the league favorite, the league darling in NBA League Pass. And the interesting thing that I think we're going to see, and maybe this is as we kind of get in and out of of topics here, we now have two teams in Philadelphia that are going to be in the playoffs that are going to be marquee playoff matchups and that networks are going to want to see. And now I think one of the most interesting dynamics to this is going to be seeing how do the NBCs and the and the Disney's of the world try to balance the playoff schedule as they're getting it set to not only have these teams, you know, work out the schedules, the the playoff schedules and timing, but also to like how many of these games are going to be on national TV because I've got to think we know that on the Flyer side of things, they're going to want to put Flyers Penguins all over NBC Sports Network, all over the main NBC channel. And I have to assume that ESPN or Turner, whoever's going to be covering, I think it's usually Eastern Conferences, ESPN. ESPN and ABC have got to be falling over themselves. Boston is not a team that anyone wants to see right now since they're depleted. So it's like Toronto doesn't push the needle. Philly is, It's like Philly and Cleveland are the ones that I think are going to be the series that ABC is going to be following over themselves to get on the air. Like I think that creates an interesting media dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I think a potential Sixers-Cavs series down the line or a six, yeah, the, the Sixers along with the Cavs are got to be one and two in terms of ratings uh, in the East. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I don't think it's real close. Quick, on, real quick on your Simmons point, and we, we can move on. I, I, I just, I never saw, and I still never saw what you saw in him in not being like having this instinct. From day one, he was so impressive in his ability, in like the fact that he was LeBron-like. He was, he's a machine. Like he's a cyborg out there. Um, I think he came in with this stigma that he didn't care. He was lackadaisical. And it was anything but that since day one. And I get that you wanted to could have used him shooting a little bit more, um, but I, even that I think was like I I I think you're I think you're wrong. I mean, feel he attempted 203 field goals in November. Uh, he attempted 131 in February and 156 in March and uh, 54 so far in four games in April. So like it's not Where like they from like I'm. From but where again? But I, you know, your your, your critique here, yeah, you really isn't really not backed up with numbers. Like he, he the numbers to, that you gave, I think, are going to be misleading. That makes well, it sound like he's taking jump shots. Like I think a lot of those are finishing at the rim, which is good. That's fine. That's where but, he's the most effective. But again, like I mean, he he's taken what one three pointer in the last ten games. If anything, he's just become more efficient. Uh, his field goal percentage is six sixty seven in four games in April. Uh, his previous high uh, was January. It was just a tick below six hundred. And other than that, he was in the mid fives. Um, that to me is the biggest difference. He's been a little bit more efficient. Um, and again, he was. Well, what's rookie. my other big criticism been that he doesn't he's shoot in the fourth quarter? Right. Well, his field goal attempts are up in the last six games. 
Well, two of the games he didn't even play. Two of the last six he didn't even play in the fourth quarter. But in four of them, like he, he's been taking shots in the fourth quarter. But naturally, that's he's been, without, that's been the he's other. Without ben, he's without yeah. Joel Embiid. Like you know, just... I get that. But like, look at the game in Cleveland, right? Like the game versus Cleveland, he had six field goal attempts in the fourth quarter. I think it's the only time this season that he's gone past three field goal attempts in the fi- in like the fourth quarter. Again, that's that's why I said I was so excited because like. There are there are young players in this league when they're going up against LeBron or somebody that they've essentially idolized their entire career that are going to fold under the pressure. And Ben didn't not only didn't fold under the pressure, but he raised his entire game. So I'm I'm saying like sure, but this what, is this uh, you, is you seem to have thought that that wouldn't be the case earlier, and that's the part that I never got. Like uh, there, I never saw anything come, from Simmons I, other than the fact that he's he's, he's sort of a pass first player and. You know, as a rookie, like, you know, it takes a little while to rightfully to build up that confidence. I don't know. I just felt like you were needlessly I've, hard on him. And, and this none of this is a surprise. None of it. At it's all. almost like that being hard on somebody because like you expect pure greatness from them. like this is this is the thing. I've had so many days where I've I've thought about this and I've talked to friends about it. And when I watch games with friends, I'm like ridiculously positive about Ben. And then the next day I come down to my basement. I sit on this couch and I get on with you, and for some reason, it's like this dark corner of my mind takes over, and that's what fuels my Ben Simmons talk. And like all year, when I've been watching games, I've been saying this guy can get anywhere on the floor, and I'm like ridiculously positive and ridiculously like falling over myself to compliment the guy. And then I come down and I record, and I don't know what happens, but uh, whatever. I it's just I not will admit, up by stat. Well, even his usage rate is down. It- from the first three months it's actually lower in april and certainly lower in march than it was october november december and january part (laughs) of his usage rate part of his usage rate has also been because they like the months that you're citing have also been after they've gotten guys who are good secondary ball handlers like the ball has been in bellinelli's hands in april the ball has been in fultz's hands plenty sure uh in november the same thing has happened with yeah he was 25% of possessions were ending with him where, you know, and it's 23 now it's not low. I mean, his usage rate is, you know, it's, it's, it's decent, but it was actually the highest in November. Um, it was lowest in March by far. So it's like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, but I just, don't, I don't think any of it actually like adds up. This whole thing the whole time. Yeah, like, no, back, so we, we move off from that. I just, I disagree. I don't think anything we're seeing from Simmons is a surprise. He just keeps getting better and he's going to be one of the great ones of all time. Like, I, yeah, and I'm I'm not trying to set that up as a, a surprise. I'm saying I'm I'm thrilled because this is the thing that I've wanted to see from him all year, and I'm not. You, it's not that I'm surprised to see it. I'm saying I'm I'm ecstatic to see that it happened. I, I don't. That, I guess my my only counter there would be we we have tell me seeing it all tell year. me how this version of Ben Simmons who is We've assertive on we have. I mean, the numbers back that up. We have. I mean, maybe there's one or two games here, the Cavs game and one or two games early on that he, he sort of shrunk in the first that I think are clouding your judgment. But overall, like, we have. We have seen this. Even, remember, how about the foul game three months ago where he kept getting, fa- and, you know, and he couldn't make the free throws and it was ridiculous. But, you know, like, he was he was the focal point. Like, I don't know. It, I, I don't know. I mean, he just he's gotten better. But I feel like we've seen, you know, I, I don't think anything has changed. Um when I hear you, it sounds like, oh, you know, he's flipped a switch and become this, you know, killer. Yeah, I feel like he's been like that way all year long. I don't know. I don't want to keep going down this all way. Right. I'm um, very happy with Ben. We're all happy with Ben. It's fantastic to see. I was trying to be positive. The... You're well, like, I know. You're like dragging this whole thing back down. Sorry. I don't want to go back into this this bad thing. Like, this is good. This is really, really good. And we should all be positive. And where is reason to believe that this team could potentially get to the finals? They're, they're like one ridiculous series away or a LeBron just punks the crap out of uh, Toronto in a second round matchup from having home court advantage in the Eastern conference finals. That's nuts. Think about that. When I, when I pulled that article together or the post together like uh, a month ago or whatever, where I took everybody's preseason predictions, including those on the podcast, like I think Adam had said like 35 wins. I think um, I, I think I had 46 wins or something, and I said that was fifth, which is obviously stupid now. Although 46 might actually be the number that'll be fifth in the East. Whatever. Um, most of the people had a, had them at about 500. 
This team's won 50 games. I want to know where all the Fire Brett Brown people are. I assume that the Fire Brett Brown people are now the Fire Gabe Kapler people. And if the uh, Flyers-Penguin season or series goes the way that it should, which is Pittsburgh winning, those people are going to go back to being the Fire Hackstall people. Like, I just don't get it. Where are those people at? Because all season, it was Brett doesn't know how to how to create rotations. Brett doesn't know how to design plays. Well, to the first point, look what happened once they finally acquired legitimate vets. Like this comes back to the first point that I made. Bellinelli and Ilyasova totally changed the complexion of this team. Getting Markel Fultz back, which by the way is one of the things, maybe the only thing I've gotten right on this podcast uh, long term, is that getting Markel Fultz back, even if his jump shot is inconsistent, is a an entire game changer, right? And like watching these last few games, having Fultz, has he looked ridiculously beautiful on that jump shot has he shown a um an overly consistent jump shot as a spot-up shooter no has he shown that he can make a few mid-range jays that he can uh you know execute his turnaround and get to the rim absolutely has his his uh vision on the court been put on full display has his playmaking ability been shown off to its fullest yeah and it's a totally different dynamic i love tj mcconnell but tj mcconnell is is not even a tenth of the player that markel fultz is and so these are all things that have kind of contributed to this entire turnaround and so for all those people who hated brett when he had to roll out you know lineups that included amir johnson or uh rashawn holmes or tlc jared bayless like what did you expect with those with those lineups and now that he's got a legitimate team who by the way doesn't have this big free agent acquisition jj reddick's your your highest paid player and he's a guy who's like what a like a fourth or fifth option typically on a on a contending team he was the fourth or fifth option i guess offensively in la when he was out there right and so brett's done this whole thing without having a lebron right and like Embiid's awesome and ben's awesome but they're also young they're both essentially in their rookie seasons right like even joel if you put both seasons combined he's kind of wrapping up his rookie year Brett's done an amazing job with this team and all those people who were calling for his job early in the year because they didn't like the rotations he ran out with TLC, you can shove it. You can go hide in a corner and if and when something goes wrong in this playoff stretch, you can come back out. But I'll tell you what, when we're marching down Broad Street in 2020 holding an NBA championship with or without LeBron James, uh, you can go hide in a corner and you can come out in like 2036. Yeah, look, I think it was a good rant. Um feel like you know brett the thing with brett brown was no one was why you know yes the process folks most people weren't understandably watching the sixers on a nightly basis the last five years and i don't blame them i mean i you know i tuned in because this is what i do and but i i don't think i would have watched hardly anything other than you know that stretch last year because it was so you know offensive to good basketball and while you can get what they're doing doesn't mean you have to sit through and watch you know wake me up when, when we're ready to go forward and i think what we're seeing is most people would had no idea what Brett Brown could do and even the process folks. And, you know, the knee jerk reaction is, okay, well, you know, they're blowing leads and, you know, they, they call timeout and, you know, they come up with a play that is kind of useless. And, you know, there's some head scratching moments and whatever. I think a, a large part of that was being rookies. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Brett Brown has done such a terrific job this year. Uh, it's hard to whatever, um, you know, to your point about um, it's it's hard to criticize him, and obviously he's he's proven to be a very good coach. And let's see what happens now that we start we're going to start getting into truly meaningful games. Um, By the way, the the nuances of the sets that he calls that was the other thing, and I, I'll get out of this really quick. The sets that Ben or that um, Brett has been drawing up out of bounds plays all season have worked to perfection. Most of the time, when he calls a timeout and they run a play. They often score or get to the free throw line. He's been excellent at that. And all the people, including Kevin, who go back and like do the the detailed breakdowns of, of sets. And there are people nationally and people locally who do like the set of the week kind of stuff where they show the way that he's kind of taken his experience from working with the Australian national team. And he takes, you know, sets that are being run in the international game. And then he kind of puts his own spin on them. He's doing a great job of, de- of designing plays and, and like that. You know, if you're looking for something more specific, like his coaching acumen is kind of on full display there as well. Yes, and but that that doesn't think... even obviously take in the emotional aspect and the way that he's built these guys up from the ground up. A lot of them as players who were maybe D League talent, and then other guys just trying to get them to to maneuver through some of the hardest times of their life. And, and I, it's well, it's fantastic. 
and yeah, but I mean, previously there were end game scenarios where there were several moments over the last few years where an end game scenario was like that. That's what you came up with. So I don't think it was totally yeah, unfounded. There were some. There were some real head scratchers. Um, your point about JJ Redick. Um, you know, I, I think you probably underserve Redick as well. I mean, quietly, um, Redick is now averaging more more points per game than he has in his entire career. Sixteen point nine. If season were to end today, would be a career high at age thirty three. Uh, he's shooting over forty one percent from three. That is among his highs. He shot forty seven percent a few years ago, which is crazy. He's um, shooting forty seven percent, I think, in the last month and a half or so. Yeah, I, which he, is also like that's also huge. He is very good. Like, he is better than my vision of him from afar had been. You know, knowing him in college, knowing, you know, knowing him the player in college, and then, you know, being, you know, kind of lukewarm familiar on his NBA game just because he's, you know, he was out west and in Orlando. You know, he was kind of in purgatory for the first six years of his career, and then he was out with the Clippers and, you know, not on TV a lot. They didn't have any real deep playoff runs in them, all that stuff. Um, he's more athletic than I thought. Uh, he's certainly more of a gamer and, and, and taking on a leadership role. You could see it on the court. Uh, he makes big shots. His energy is good. Um, to me, he's been so impressive. And they, it would be great. if, if Short of getting Clay Thompson this offseason, if the Warriors decide they need to move on from him, um, it would be great to have Redick around next year. And I would be willing to bet that given how much they paid him this year, uh, that you would be able to get him at a a slight discount for him to stick around because I have no doubt that obviously location is important to him uh, and being close to Brooklyn where his family lives and practicing in New Jersey and being a part of this team, I think you can get him uh, on a borderline steal given the fact that there was this sort of gentleman's agreement that you were going to overpay him this year and potentially rework him next year. Uh, I would love to have him a part of this going forward. I agree totally. And um I think that there are some people who run a certain Sixers podcast who need to apologize for their awful take about JJ in the beginning of the year and that they kept going. They, uh, This is funny because for people who like to say that they were always right, um, there was at least one of those hosts who compared JJ negatively to Alshon Jeffrey and said that they were both, you know, essentially guys who were brought in to do a, ro- uh, do a role and hadn't been living up to the hype. Uh, one won you a Super Bowl and the other is, you know, in a large way responsible for getting you the third seed in the East, but it's fine. It's fine. You can make a, yeah, but a, hey, both guys exceeded expectations. Right I actually think the comparison of the two of them is pretty good. You got these two, um, you know, mid career guys who are very good, but you know, definitely a shade below superstar, uh, who both came here on, you know, these sort of short term, big money deals, um, with the potential for, um, some, you know, some future earnings and stuff like that. And both of these guys, you know, kind of took a little bit of time to get going. Um, obviously, Jeffrey has worked out. Um, you know, I think you're seeing it from Reddick now. Like, he's – it's scary. If Embiid comes back and doesn't really miss a beat um, and, you know, he's able to kind of he, assimilate because they have changed their style a little bit. It's a little bit more up-tempo, and, you know, it's, it's it will change. And I, I always fear in sports when the big guy – I go back to when the Flyers in the 90s, every time Lindros came back from an injury, which was frequently, uh, most notably the 2000 uh, Eastern Conference – finals against the devils but certainly it had happened many times before that because he was always hurt when he would come back from injury there'd be a letdown effect and your big guy's back and that happens a lot in sports that's my only concern is that when Embiid comes back they kind of lay off um you know take their foot off the gas say okay we got this Joel's back and they have this little lull if they can sidestep that um I honestly think they can go to the finals I mean they're that good they're that good if Embiid's healthy it is going to happen. I, I'm actually a little bit more worried. Um, I think it'll probably be along the same lines, but I do think that they're going to try to get him involved so much that it's going to take them out of the flow of their offense. Yeah, the only the that. only hope here, and and I do think that this is going to be a thing. Part of me thinks that they should have such a little issue with whoever they're going to play. I was actually surprised looking at the Eastern Conference standings yesterday that um, Miami were in the um, the sixth seed. the The whole bottom of the East is just kind of uh, I don't know I'm a little bit befuddled by the way that it's playing out right now you'd be matched up against Miami which is not a team that really scares me Washington honestly is the one that was the weird matchup that I was afraid of and they're now eighth in the conference um, these teams are only separated by a game uh, the Heat and the Bucks are tied and the the Wizards are a game behind them but whatever 
you know, Giannis is a scary potential matchup just as one guy, but the rest of that team is just this weird hodgepodge and it doesn't really work. Um, I do think that whenever Embiid comes back, and maybe that's the bigger issue and the bigger story is, does he come back mid-series? Because I don't think he comes back for game one. If he does, I really hope he's ready. I don't want them to rush him back. I also, I guess at the same point, don't want to see them fall behind 0-2 or fall behind or like get to a point where you only win one of your first two and then like game three, you get kind of beaten down at whatever that team is. And then Embiid's coming back with a 1-2 or even a 1-3 deficit and you're kind of grasping at straws. And then your your game where you're trying to get him back into the flow is a game that you really can't afford. Like if you're up 2-1 in a series, 3-1 in a series, bring him back. Do the same kind of thing that you did with Fultz here in integrating him. I just don't want to see this, you know, awful moment where you're trying to dump it into the post to him. You're getting your offense totally out of out of sync for the sake of trying to get him back in. Uh, and then, you know, it, it takes away from what's been successful recently. Even if you caught a commanding lead and he came back for the second round, like I'd be fine. I'd be totally fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think he'll be back sooner. Um, you know, tough to keep a guy out if if he's not physically, you know, restrained in terms of his abilities. And it's, it's more of a, you know, it's a risk thing. You got to wear the mask, all that stuff. Uh, I don't know. He's so much bigger. I mean, his likeliness, the likelihood of him taking an elbow to the face has got to be lower than a, a guard, you know, getting into the paint just for the sheer fact that he's not at elbow height for most players. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think there, um, I, I, there's a genuine chance they make the finals and think about like, does this last little stretch not feel obviously there's a, an Eagle similarity, losing your best player, getting better, all of that, um, you know, potentially getting a chance to go to the finals and match up against the dynasty team. But there's a, there's a lot of Villanova in this. I mean, where they're just kill, like, no, don't, don't sigh at that. But they come out, they come out and like, they just instantly go up 10 points. You're like, well, we won. And I know the Cavs made a run, and LeBron's always going to make a run, but it's got the same feeling, like being wrapped up in every one of those last 10 Villanova games and and these last 10 Sixers games, it's the same feeling. It's like they come out and, you know, you just expect them to go up 10. You expect someone to start raining a few threes, and next thing you know, it's like, okay, now we're just we're just cruising. And, like, I don't know, it's got this weird this weird sort of feeling. Uh, I feel the same way. Uh, I feel Philly I sports at- feels that way the last six months. I really do look at the uh, the issue or the way that the Eastern Conference is kind of breaking out or breaking down around them the same way that the NFC kind of broke down around the Eagles. It felt like all of the the worst injuries that could have happened or like the, I guess, if you're looking for beneficial ones for the Eagles, like I think a lot of those have kind of gone your way. Boston was a team that would have presented you a real issue uh, later in the playoffs. And, you know, for the most part, I think we can be pretty safe to rule them out. Um, unless they do get Marcus Smart back or something like that, or if Gordon Hayward really, you know, starts doing the T.O. and sleeps in a hyperbaric chamber for, um, I don't know, like the next month or so to try to get healthy. Um, you've, you've seen the East kind of crumble away, and even Toronto's now, we said this on the last episode, but Toronto's started to show that they have some weak spots, and I, I'm very confident that LeBron will beat them in a second-round series. So you've shown now twice this season, it's twice now, right, that the Sixers have beaten the Cavs. So the the fear that a young team, in theory, should have going up against LeBron, this team has not backed down. They've taken him down twice. And that Cleveland team, honestly, around LeBron is not that good. I think we've said that pretty much about every LeBron team that he's ever been on. But with the exception of Kevin Love, there are no all-stars there. There are really not that many valuable pieces. And yeah, once he the worst. And like, I don't know about that. I think back to a Mo Williams kind of team, and I'm not so sure that that team is uh, is worse. This one has some interesting parts, and like, you still do have a perennial all star in Kevin Love. You know, whatever percentage you think he's at right now, he's still better. And even like a guy like Jordan Clarkson is is still better to some extent than some of the guys that he's had to play with in the past. And he still has J.R. Smith, who he's won a title with. He's got Corver, who's a good three point shooter. It's not this dreadful team. It's just he doesn't have two other stars near him. He just has one. And Kevin Love can't stay healthy, so it feels like it's just him. Yep. So there's there's that. So we've there's that. Flyers, I think, are going to be an interesting spot. This is a programming note, I guess, towards the Flyers people who are listening. Um, because we're doing the live show on Wednesday... That means we're going to flip the schedule for Snow the Goalie and Crossing Broadcast. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, 
Anthony and I will have an episode of Snow the Goalie over on that show uh, channel on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play ready to go. So Wednesday morning when you get up, Snow the Goalie will have a preview of the um, Flyers-Penguins matchup because their first game is going to be on Wednesday night when we do the live podcast. And then obviously we'll take whatever we get from the live podcast for Crossing Broadcast and we'll post that Wednesday or Thursday morning. So those two sh- shows will be flipped this week. Anything else, Kyle, that you can think of? I mean, obviously, Phillies won 20 to 1. That was awesome. We'll kind of break that down probably at the live show and, and kind of recap Phillies a lot more uh, coming yeah, on that it. night. All right. So this has been Crossing Broadcast, part of the Crossing Broadcast Podcast Network. Make sure you listen to those shows. Phillies recap will be uh, tomorrow on Crossed Up, Phillies podcast with Bob and Anthony. We will be back on Thursday morning slash Wednesday night. Make sure you come out to the live podcast at Six Feet Under Gastro Pub, 727 Walnut Street. Literally, it is underground. Make sure you come out to that. Watch the Flyers playoff game. Watch the Sixers season finale against Giannis and the Bucks. Watch, I guess the Phillies are playing. I think Bob was joking in Slack. So that'll be a thing if you really want to watch it. I don't know why you would with those two other games going on, but you know, have at it. You can come out for that as well. And we will see you guys out there on Wednesday night. Of course, Snow the Goalie will be that morning live podcast. We'll do the recap Thursday. And then Friday... We'll either be a highlight show or maybe we'll do a crossover depending on how the uh, Sixers and Flyers games play out. Uh, Crossing Broad FC Saturday morning and it's always soccer in Philadelphia on the weekend. We will talk to you guys all on Wednesday night. Hope to see you out there. See you soon.